Welcome to the Zion Church Podcast. We are a church that is passionate about bringing heaven to earth by following Jesus, who demonstrated perfect Christianity. We hope you are blessed by this teaching. The Lord reminded me of our last house. I planted a hedge. I love hedges. and uh, But I could only afford these tiny little morays. I couldn't even afford boxes for box hedge that takes a long time to grow anyway so I bought these little morays they're only like this big and I planted them all in a row like 20 or 30 centimeters apart and I fertilized them and waited and they were growing and I got so excited when they began to grow I'm like yay they're growing look they're double the height but they were they were going straight up I'm trying to build a hedge so what did I do got the pruning shears got the scissors and cut them all down you know, Jesus talks about that in, uh, he talks about that the Father prunes every tree that bears fruit. And so the reason why I pruned them was, is because growth's great, but I wasn't just interested in growth. I wanted perfection. I wanted a hedge. I wanted these trees to fulfill the purpose for which I planted them. And so God's been doing amazing things in the life of Zion, but I just feel like I need to do a little pruning today. Some of you are maybe squirming in your seats, wondering what that's going to mean. Don't worry, I'm not going to call out any sin today. Maybe not. I'm not sure. We'll see what God does. Um, but, but this is what I, I felt to, to share about. Is you know, Jesus said that every seed reproduces after itself. If you get a wheat seed and you plant a grain of wheat into the ground, what does it grow? Wheat. If you plant an apple seed in the ground, hopefully what's it going to grow? An apple tree, every seed reproduces after itself. And you know, our heart is discipleship. We're here to make disciples. Uh, But who knows that, uh, like Jesus said in John 8, he uh, he said that if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You know, it took a son to bring many sons to glory. The truth is, is that as Christians, that as we are making disciples, as we're teaching and equipping people, the reality is, is what we carry is transferred onto them. So in order for us to multiply, we need to make sure that we're in a really healthy space. Because whatever perspectives that we have and ways that we're living, if it's not right, if it's not according to God's perfect will, then as we grow and expand, we're going to begin to multiply not just the good stuff, but the bad stuff as well. So what, well, what does this mean? What am I talking about right now? You know, I think for me, I'm on my child dedication notes here. Let me get back into the, to main, the main one here. Um, Sorry, guys, bear with me. Okay, here we are. Um, You know, for for us, in terms of making disciples, we want to make sure that we're a people that are walking in true freedom. You know, the reality is, is for so long, some of us have reduced Christianity to praying to prayer, to go to heaven, and then just attending church on Sunday. Do you know that Christianity is way, way, way bigger than that? So much bigger. You know, I love the example of Jesus because when Jesus made disciples, he didn't just turn to the disciples and say, worship me. He didn't say, build buildings and monuments to honor me. 
He didn't even say, sing songs to me. He turned to the disciples and what did he say to them? Follow me. Follow me. Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, he who believes in me, does anyone here believe in Jesus today? He who believes in me, the works that I do, you will do also, and even greater works because I go to the Father. And we know that in what he was talking about is that he went to the Father so that the Holy Spirit could come. That's what he said to the disciples. He said, it's better for you that I go away because if I go away, then the helper is going to come. So we understand that Jesus He modeled the life that we were created to live. And I want to talk about that a little bit today because I believe that when Jesus was talking about the works that he did, he's not just talking about miracles. As much as I love seeing God do miracles, we've seen God do phenomenal things in the last 13 years especially, Jesus was talking about the very life that he lived inside and out, his internal reality and also the external reality that he walked in. I want you to turn with me, if you can, to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to read a few verses here in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. So what I want to do is is that I want to lay a little bit of of a foundation. And I want to kind of expand our understanding of redemption. Expand our understanding of what Jesus actually accomplished when he hung on that cross and said, It is finished. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, that's past tense, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. In Him, in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory." It's such a beautiful passage and it goes on and on. The whole book of Ephesians, the epistle of Ephesians is one of my favorite epistles. I just love this picture that Paul is painting. How incredible is this redemption, this gift of salvation that Jesus has purchased for us, that the Father has purchased through the Son. 
It says that in Him we have been accepted in the Beloved. It says that in Him we have redemption through His blood. You know, that word redemption means to redeem something, means to bring it back to its original created value, to its original purpose. It's like this, sometimes I use this illustration, if you were to go for a walk down on the beach and you walk along the sand and you see some kids using some silverware to like build a sandcastle and they finish with the silverware, they chuck it aside and you walk up and you see the silverware and you realize that it's not made for digging sand. It's being used for a purpose that it wasn't designed for. If you were to stoop down, pick up the silverware, take it home, wash it, clean it, polish it, put it down at the dinner table, and to eat your meal with it that night, you have redeemed that silverware. So if we want to understand and know what is it that God has done, we have to understand the original created purpose for which he created us, don't we? If I was to look at that silver and think, oh, you know, I don't think that that belongs here. If I don't understand what it is, if I don't understand why it was created, if I don't know its true value, I'm not going to understand what its purpose is or even how to redeem it. I want you to look at another little passage right here. This is in Romans chapter 5. If you can turn there. Romans chapter 5. And I want to read a little portion here. Acts, Romans, Romans chapter 5. There is so, I love Romans. There is so much good stuff in Romans. We, we're going to kick off probably in verse 12, and we're going to read maybe about nine verses here. Uh, it says this, and it's always dangerous when you start with a therefore, because the joke is that you need to take note of what it's there for. Um, but we don't really have time for that today. It's already 10 past five, but what I want, I'm just going to jump straight into 12. It said, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin. So who's that talking about? Through one man, death entered the world. Adam, isn't it? Okay. So it's talking about Adam. So through Adam's sin, death entered into the world. It wasn't here before Adam and Eve. So he's going back, he's going back to the garden. He's bringing us back to this point so that we can understand what Jesus has done for us. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. That's a whole other topic right there. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. So even though people hadn't sinned the way that Adam sinned, because we were all born of Adam, we were all born under the law of sin and death. Sin was our default because we were born into Adam. Uh, born into the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. That's a capital H, capital H in him. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense, for if, if by the one man's offense, or by Adam's offense, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. 
And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Why? For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses, uh, many offenses resulted in justification. Great way to look at that word justification. To be justified is just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. That's how God has made us through the blood of Jesus Christ. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, Jesus, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, The law came so that we understand what sin is. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's helping us to understand that through Adam's sinful act, death condemnation, destruction came not just into Adam's life and into Eve's life, but to every one of their descendants, everyone that was born into Adam. Every one of us were born into Adam. That's why we needed to be born again, John chapter 3. So, so right here, Paul is breaking out and helping us to understand that Jesus and Adam, there's a similarity here. There's a prophetic symbolism of Adam. The Bible calls Jesus the last Adam, that Adam was born as and created as the very first created son of God. When you read through the genealogies of Jesus, the one that goes backwards begins to say, you know, uh, David, the son of Jesse, and it goes all the way back, and then it finishes with Adam, the son of God. Adam was the very first created son of God. We know from Genesis that the Bible says that God made men in his image and in his likeness. We know that at that point in time, Jesus didn't have a human form. When God said that he made man in his image and his likeness, he wasn't talking about one head, two eyes, one nose, one mouth. He was talking about according to the Spirit. That's why God made every animal according to their own likeness, but when it came to man, he made man in his own image and his own likeness and imparted his very spirit into man by breathing into him. And Adam jumped up and was the very first son of God. Perfect, holy, blameless, just like God, but not God. Just like your children bear your DNA, but they're not you. Say this, I've said this before if you've heard me preach this, but my children bear Elise and my DNA. They're a mix. 
But in the spirit, if we're born of God, we don't have a spiritual mother and a spiritual father. We come from one. So Adam's spirit was created to be just like his father. And then here we have Jesus come along as the last Adam. The first Adam dropped the ball. God said to the first Adam, he said, uh, take dominion over the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. God gave the keys of the earth over to Adam. He told Adam to have dominion. What does that mean? What is a dominion? It's the rule and the reign of a ruler, a king's domain. A kingdom is a king's dominion. Adam and Eve were essentially the rulers over the earth. God gave them the rulership of the earth. That's what the Bible says in Psalms. That God gave them, the children of men, the earth. So that, but something happened. Something went wrong. Adam and Eve in the garden, they heard another version of the truth, twisted truth from the devil, a.k.a. a lie, when he presented other facts to them. He presented another way. When Adam and Eve listened to the voice of the stranger, when they listened to the voice of the enemy, and they believed the devil over their father, they essentially said, God is a liar, you are the truth, and we believe you. So spiritually speaking, they submitted themselves to the power of God's enemy. That's why we see ever since that point in time, all through human history, all through biblical history, we see mankind oppressed by the devil. Until another man came, capital M, the last Adam. Jesus came. He was baptized in the River Jordan. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then straight afterwards, he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil three times that we, that we can see in Scripture. The very last time, each of those temptations actually deal with spirit, soul, and body, but that's a body, soul, and spirit rather in that order. We get to the last temptation. And the Bible says that the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to Jesus, get this, the devil said to Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give all this to you. Now Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. What are you talking about? This isn't yours to give. It was his to give. That dominion, the keys of the castle, the keys to the car that was in Adam and Eve's pocket, they surrendered that to Satan when they believed him instead of their father. Jesus came as the last Adam, and when the devil said that to him, he said, Be away, get away from me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Where the first Adam failed... The last Adam succeeded. We know we, through the Gospels, the life of Jesus, everything that Jesus did, we get to Jesus' death. He's hanging on the cross, and with his last breath, he's hanging on the cross, and he cries out this incredible statement on the cross. He says, It is finished. It is finished. What did he finish, guys? What did he mean by that? 
It is finished. I want you to have a look at something with me right now. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And I might just jump straight into verse 12. Actually, let's back up. Verse 7, let's do it. Why not? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, so he's quoting the Old Testament now, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What rebellion? In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Stop there for a minute. The wilderness was not supposed to be a trial for the children of Israel. The trial was that the children of Israel put God on trial, complained, groaned, oh, well, it's better in Egypt. We're not happy with this worthless bread. We want, we want meat, God. They were not happy, grumbling and complaining that says here that the day of trial in the wilderness was not God trying them. It was only meant to take 40 days or something for them to get from, the, from Egypt into the promised land. But it took 40 years. Why? Because the fathers tested me, God said. They tried me. God was the one on trial, not the children of Israel, and even saw his works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, verse 10, and said they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren. Now he's talking to us, New Covenant believers. He's talking to us. He's talking to you right now, you and me. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold, hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Verse 19, this is the key for us, guys. For we see that they could not enter. Why? Because of their unbelief. It wasn't because of the will of God. Oh yeah, why well, if God wills it. No, 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 no. God already willed it. He sent Jesus and said yes. And now he's waiting for us to believe. It says that we have become partakers of Christ if we hold steadfast that confidence to the end. The example for them is that they couldn't enter into the promised land, the promises of God. They couldn't step in and obtain the things that God had promised to them, not because of the will or the choice of God, but because of their unbelief. You know, it's so easy 
for us to say that we believe things or maybe even pray for some things and just put it all on God's shoulders and go, well, hey, if God wills it, it'll happen. Okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. That's not biblical. That's a daggy song from the 60s. God doesn't work that way. In fact, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We cannot receive anything from God apart from faith, not even salvation. The Bible says that we were saved by grace through faith. It doesn't just say you're saved by grace, guys. Otherwise, everyone would be saved. Your faith accesses God's grace. If there is no faith, there is no access to God's grace. Why do we think that any, everything else in the Christian life happens some other way? And we just sit on our haunches and just wait for God to just do stuff. Like the children of Israel sitting in our tents grumbling and complaining. Maybe the reason why we haven't stepped into the greater things, maybe the reason why we haven't stepped into the fullness of the Christian life isn't because of the will of God. Maybe it's because our hearts have been hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Maybe it's because of our unbelief, because the Bible is pretty clear about that they couldn't enter in because of their unbelief. And he's warning us not to have that same heart. Chapter 4 of Hebrews. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. There it is again. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, just as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Listen, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Pause there for a moment. When God made mankind, we were the very last thing that was made. Do you know that? Six days, we were made on the sixth day. Before Adam opened up his eyes and looked around, God had done everything. Adam never saw his father working. Think about that. It's like moms and dads, when you're expecting a baby, you prepare the nursery or you get the cot in the crib and you set it all up and you paint it. You, you prepare a place for them so when they're born, they just get to enjoy the place. Kind of sound familiar, doesn't it? John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. When Jesus said there are many, in the New King James it says mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions. He do, he's not talking about a mansion in the way that we think. In fact, that word literally means a dwelling place. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. There's room for everyone, is what he's saying, in my Father's house. And we've interpreted, well, when I die and go to heaven, I'm going to have a mansion that looks like this. And, well, I want a Tuscan villa. And I, Guys, that is not what he's talking about. <laughs> Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden. Jesus came to bring us back in. Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished. 
But the writer of Hebrews is telling us here that the works of God were not finished when Jesus was on the cross. It says that the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The finished work of Jesus was to bring us back into the finished work of the Father. What the first Adam lost, the second Adam got back. That's why after he went through all that he did, after having died and, and, um, and defeated death, hell, and the grave before the ascension, after he rose again, he appeared to the disciples in the great, where we have the Great Commission he, in Matthew chapter 28, and he says this to them. He says, all authority, how much authority? All of it. All authority has been given to me, where? In heaven and on earth. Before he died and rose again, he already had all authority over heaven. But he had given authority to mankind over the earth, to steward the earth and to have dominion over the earth. But we lost that through the fall. Now he came back, defeated death, hell and the grave, defeated Satan and took back the keys. He took back what the first Adam lost as the last Adam and through his death and resurrection and our faith in him, we can step back into this place of the finished work of the Father that was finished from the foundation of the earth. The Christian life is so much bigger than praying a prayer to go to the pie in the sky when we die. It really is. So much bigger than that. In the Great Commission, when Jesus tells us to go into all the world, make disciples, preach the gospel, he gives a bunch of different signs, especially in Mark chapter 16. Maybe we can turn there real quick. Mark chapter 16. You guys are really quiet. Are you breathing? Check your pulse right now. Can you feel? Who has a hard time feeling their pulse? It's in there somewhere. I know I'm alive. Where are we, Marks? I'm in Luke. Why am I in Luke 16, Lord? Mark 16. He says here, in verse 15, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who are specially gifted ones. And these signs shall follow the original 12 apostles. These signs will follow the evangelists. Is that what it says? And these signs will follow those who believe. Are you a believer today? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Then listen up. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Why is it that we have a hard time believing that? 
He says, these signs will follow those who believe. I want to tell you something. These aren't parlor tricks. The signs that are supposed to follow a believer isn't just like, hey, I'm going to show you a cool party trick. It's not a party trick to get convince people that Jesus is Lord. The reason why these signs follow the believer is because of the redemption that we just talked about. The first thing, they will cast out demons. Why? Because the devil is supposed to be under our feet. The devil is not supposed to be in control. The devil is not supposed to be uh, having the run of the house. We have been given the authority of Jesus. Matthew's account, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, go in my authority. Satan is subjected to us. I am not afraid of the devil. Some of us have a great big devil and a tiny little God. Some of us, even when we pray, we are so devil conscious and we're not very God conscious at all. Jesus said in John chapter 1 that the light shines in the darkness and in the New King James it says in the darkness did not comprehend it. A correct translation, you can check this out in the Greek, some of your translations might translate it this way, says that the light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. Guys, light is greater than darkness. We don't have a darkness problem. If the world's dark, maybe we just need to turn the light on. Seriously. Oh, but it's so dark out there. It's so evil. And the devil's, well, if the devil's running amok, what are you doing letting him do that? We can cast out demons. We see it happen all the time. In fact, some of you in here, you know, even this year, some of you have been set free from demonic spirits. Cast out demons. Why? Because the first Adam was subject to the demonic. That's why the devil came to God in the book of Job. And God said, see, he's in your hand. We're not in the devil's hand anymore if you're in Christ Jesus. The devil's in our hand. The devil's under our our boot. I am not afraid of the devil. The devil is afraid of me. The devil is actually afraid that you would actually one day wake up and believe this book. Take this personal. And actually believe that what God said is true and begin to walk it out. He's so afraid that the church will actually rise up and become all that God's ordained us to be. That's why he works so hard to get you to be afraid of him. Because the secret, the, the secret is, is that he's terrified of you. Because every time he looks at you, all he sees is Jesus. It's true. Problem is, is that we don't. All right. Cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. We know that all throughout Scripture. The day of Pentecost, this is Jesus talking about it. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and the first sign was that they began to speak with new tongues. Why do we wrestle against this? Why does so much of the church wrestle against this? Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's strange. It's weird. You can't understand it. Guys, if we could understand God, then he wouldn't be God. If you could fit God in the box called your brain, guess what? He's not God. If you can go, yep, this is what he's like. He's this nice, nice little, neatly contained God. Yep, I figured him out. Bop-bom. You've missed something. Who knows that all throughout Scripture, God always chooses the weak thing to confound the wise. Yeah. 
Whether it's David fighting Goliath, he could have chose any soldier, could have chose Saul, he chose a little shepherd boy. Why? To show his strength so that man's faith wouldn't be in their own ability, wouldn't be in their own understanding, but in the power of God. So what Paul said, he said, I didn't come to you with wisdom of words, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Why? He, Paul says, so that your faith won't be in information. Your faith won't be in man's words, but your faith will be in the power of God. Verse 18, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Now, this is not putting God to the test, all right? This is not saying, okay, well, hey, let's go out and find some red belly black snakes or some brown snakes and let's dance with them. Some people do that stuff. That's whacked, okay? Seriously. The devil tried doing that with Jesus. Well, hey, it is written, Throw yourself down from here and the angels will come and bear you up. Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I was going to like be silly then, but I'm, I'm being silly enough. This is not about putting God to the test. It's not about like, hey, I want to show you that Jesus is real. Bring me the packet of rat sack and I'm going to eat it in front of you. That's stupid. That's not good stewardship. That's stupid shit. Okay. This is what, why is he saying this then? We know this happened to the Apostle Paul when he was shipwrecked on Malta. He was looking for firewood, put his hand into the, into the bush, and a snake, poisonous snake bit him. Did, the, did Paul die? No. When Jesus touched the lepers, did he get leprosy? No. They got healed, they got what he had. What these signs are showing is that we were once subject to Satan, we were once subject to the things of this world, even nature, but now Jesus has brought us back as the last Adam so that we can live not subjected to life and people and devils and snakes and poison, but so that we can reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. These aren't party tricks to do, to impress people so they, they say yes to Jesus. This is the outward demonstration of a transformed life. This is the outward demonstration that we've actually been redeemed. I'm doing pretty good with time right now. I might just preach a whole other sermon. I'm just getting warmed up. Seriously. <laughs> and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, I'm going to preach this until the cows come home or till Jesus comes back, whatever happens sooner. Give me one example of Jesus touching a sick person and them not getting healed. Is there a single example? Is there a single example in all of the Gospels of someone coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean, or whatever it might be, give me one example where he said to them, look, I really love you, but I'm sorry. It's not my will to heal you. Or hey, it's not the right time yet. Come back next week. Or hey, I actually gave this to you to build humility or character in you. That stuff 
does not originate in the heart of God. If it hasn't originated from God, where has it come from? Jesus is the will of God made manifest. John 14, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. If we believe something about the Father that doesn't line up with the person of Jesus, the life that he lived, and these red words that he preached, I tell you what needs to change. Not what Jesus said, but what we believe. Every person that Jesus touched was healed. And then he turned around to us and said, he who believes in me, the same works that I do, he will do also, and even greater works than these. We're all growing up into him in all things, but I tell you what, in the last 13 years, we've seen God heal cancer, Parkinson's disease, paralysis, blind eyes open, deaf ears open. Actually, I saw a testimony pop up um, yesterday, a reminder from last year I was somewhere and there was a young man born without a co cochlea, I think is that how you pronounce it? Cochlea. And I prayed for him. It was actually through Zoom or something like that. And he got completely healed, took his implant out and could be begin to hear for the first time in his life. Another time was it like, talking about deaf, um, deafness being healed. I was at Tivoli Miracle Center out in Ipswich, I think it was maybe last year or the year before, a lady, uh, long story short, 22 years deaf in one ear. 22 years. She had to constantly wear a plug in her ear because she had no eardrum and the doctor said if something was to get in there, it's going to get straight into your brain basically and, and cause infection. Prayed for her. She was completely, miraculously healed. Went back to the doctor and has the doctor's report of her healing. When she took that thing out of the ear and could hear for the first time, she's saying, it's so loud, it's so loud. And we're like, shh, like quiet it down a little bit. You're so loud. <laughs> Jesus said, if you believe, you will lay hands on the sick and they might recover. Maybe. What did he say? They will recover. Yeah, but well, why don't we? We just read it. They could not enter into the promised land. Why? Because of their unbelief. Not because of the will of God. I kind of want to take a bit of a sidestep right now. I'm feeling grace to do this. Hopefully I don't upset anyone. I do, I'm pretty good at doing that. Well, actually, the Word of God's good at doing that. I just Have you noticed that I just preach the Word of God most of the time? You notice when I preach, I mostly just read the Word of God, then we talk about it? Because my words mean Zippo. It's His Word. Not my opinion, His, his opinion. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, it says that He said to His disciples, if anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and follow me. Now, think with me for a second. I, I take things pretty literal. When Jesus is talking, I actually, I tend to just kind of believe that what he's saying is true. But he says, he's saying to his disciples, th picture this, you're in the crowd. He's saying to his disciples, guys, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, you must first deny yourself 
and take up your cross and then follow me. At large, we've preached a gospel that's extremely selfish. Pray a prayer so that you can get a mansion in heaven or blessed and better life or whatever it might be. Jesus can meet all your needs. We've taken what is the most selfless thing in the universe and made it extremely selfish. And Jesus says here, the very first step of being a disciple is to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Following Jesus, being baptized into Christ is actually the end of ourselves. It's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says that if we died with him, that we should live no longer for ourselves. My life died. I died with Christ. My life is hidden in him. The life that I live now, it's not my life. I live by faith in the Son of God. My life is laid down for the purpose of his will. So the truth is, is that if we haven't denied ourselves, if we haven't taken up our cross, are we actually following Jesus? If they are the prerequisites to be able to follow him and we haven't done them, are we actually following him? Or did we just pray a prayer to go to heaven and pray to him for blessings? If I've denied myself and I've died with Christ, and as Paul said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. If I'm free from me, because this is what salvation is, I was the problem. Once upon a time, I lived for myself, do everything for myself and be miserable and wonder why. Who can relate to that? I was the problem. I needed to die. And praise God, God made a way so that I can die through baptism. I didn't have to wait to physically die. I could die with Christ through baptism, be born again. Now, I've been set free from me. You might think that I'm weird or crazy, but it's true. I am set free from me. I'm not my own problem anymore because I died. All the things that I used to struggle with, my life was like a roller coaster up and down all the time. I beat myself up all the time. I hated myself. I was my own worst enemy. I don't even think like that anymore. I used to be so self-conscious. I'm sure no one can relate to this here. No one can. That I would walk through the shops and if I caught a glimpse of myself in the glass, I'd like check myself out and make sure that I looked good. Now you can tell by my hair that I often don't look in the mirror that much anymore. I know some of you don't like my hair. It's okay, I'm praying for you. But this is the thing, if I'm free from me, guess what? I'm free from you as well. Your life does not determine my life. It's true. Now this is really where I wanted to go today, but I felt like I needed to build a foundation. We're looking at what Jesus did. Did you realize that you're not my potter? There is nothing that you can do that can take away what God's put in me. You can huff and you can puff, but you can't blow this house down. Not even the devil can blow this house down. Why? Because he didn't build it. God did. Believe me, the devil's tried. <laughs> it's true. A lot of you know that. But here I am. Why? Because of the grace of God. 
Some of us, we have a tough day at work and our life's a mess. Some of us wake up with a strange feeling and our whole day is derailed. Guys, we were born and created for so much more than that. How are we ever going to run with the horses if we can't even keep up with the footman? How are we ever going to walk in the greater things that Jesus promised if we can't even get through today without being on down Struggle Street? Do you realize that we can live in such a way where your circumstances mean zippo? With the diagnosis of terminal brain cancer, I'm preaching just like this, preaching faith, seeing God do miracles, and no one would ever have known. Now, that's not anything to do with me. That's because of Jesus. Some of us, though, really, God really wants us to grow and to mature and to be so secure in Him. We read it just before in Ephesians. It says that we have been accepted in the beloved. I'm preaching now. You can say, I've left the pulpit now. I'm just going to do away with that thing. I'm getting excited. Because the Bible says that I have been accepted in the beloved. And if God has accepted me, how could your rejection determine me at all? How could anything that you do or say or that life throws at me change who I am unless I give it the power to? Hey, we all have sad stories. We've all been through problems and issues. I could sit here all night and just tell you all the stuff that I've been through. We could compare notes and see who had a worse life. But this is, this is the deal. Jesus in the storm with the, the, the disciples. Remember, the storm came. They were freaked out. They thought they were going to die. I think it's Matthew 14. This isn't in my notes. Like I said, I'm preaching now. The storm came. They were freaked out. What was Jesus doing, guys? He was asleep in the boat, in the same boat, in the same storm. They woke him up and said, Lord, don't you care about us? Some of us have prayed those prayers before, haven't we? Lord, I thought you loved me. Why is this happening? Lord, why don't you care about us? We're perishing. Jesus woke up, rebuked the wind and the waves, but he turned to them and rebuked them. But the Bible says that they marveled and said, who is this who even has power over the wind and the waves? The greatest miracle in that situation was not Jesus calming the wind and the waves. The greater miracle was that Jesus was able to sleep through it. Some of us are so caught up in the wind and the waves and the circumstances and the stuff and we're asking God to calm the storm when he's trying to show us a greater way to live. When we see what he sees and we know what he knows, the storm is not our problem. I'm going to finish there. Let's pray.
Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you died and rose again for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you took back everything that Adam lost in the garden. Lord, help us to know it. Help us to fully understand all that you've done for us, Lord, so that we can walk in it, Lord. Father, I pray for every heart in here tonight, Lord. If any of our hearts have been hardened, have been calloused through the, through the deceitfulness of sin, maybe even through wrong beliefs, Lord. Father, I pray, even right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and that, Lord, you would soften our hearts, Lord. That we wouldn't harden our hearts, Lord, like the children of Israel did in the wilderness. Father, that there would not be any area of unbelief in our lives. Lord, my prayer for every one of us, Lord, is that you would, whatever is holding us back from walking with you and walking in your fullness, Jesus, I just pray that you would illuminate it right now, that you would take it away right now. Lord, and if there's anything that we need to do, that we need to change, that we need to repent of. Lord, I just pray that you would release supernatural grace right now to help us to repent, to help us to make the changes that we need so that we can live in perfect alignment with your will. Father, we don't want to be a pe we don't want to be people that are tossed to and fro by the waves of life and circumstances. We don't want to live an up and down roller coaster Christianity, Lord. We want to walk with you, Jesus, and we want to walk as you walk. So, Father, I just thank you that you enable us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit and in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
You've been listening to a Zion Church podcast. For more information about Zion Church, go to zionchurch.info. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash zionchurchgc. And on Instagram, we're at zionchurchofficial. 